Today's election night battleground seats guide Labor's pathway to 47 episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunstreet. Dunstreet is a progressive campaign agency that specialises in campaigning and community organising. We work with non-profit and community-based organisations, trade unions, progressive businesses and social democratic parties across the globe. Dunstreet develops community engagement and organising strategies to win campaigns both big and small and we train engagement staff, volunteers and organisers in leadership and power building. And we also help leaders craft their own public narrative that tells a story that unites people to move them to act together. And if you want to change or create change in your community in 2023, then hit us up at dunstreet.com.au. Today's episode is also brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Would you like to make a genuine difference to clients' lives? Morris Blackburn is looking for a lawyer from graduate to three-year post-admission experience to join their nationally recognised class actions team in Sydney, New South Wales. The class actions team is the largest and most experienced in Australia and they are responsible for some of the largest settlements in Australian history. If you are driven to make a difference and are passionate about litigation and the law, then Morris Blackburn would love to hear from you. To find out more, go to morrisblackburn.com.au. And finally, today's episode is brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. Uh, You need the tools that you can trust, lists that are up to date, phone banks that can change minds, emails that drive donations, events that will energize the community both online and offline, and text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, Go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast that dives into the progressive campaigns of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And obviously, as you know, this is our third of four weekly recaps of the New South Wales state election. And if you've been under a rock, you will not know that we've been joined by the McKell Institute's uh, Michael Buckland and the CPSU's uh, Rosie Ryan to unpack uh, every week of this critically important election that is happening in New South Wales, uh, where Labor's Chris Minns is on the precipice of hopefully winning uh, the election this Saturday night. We're uh, taping this one on a Wednesday. It's going to be up instead of a Friday, we're dropping this one on a Thursday because the election's only a couple of days away. And in this particular episode, it's an episode that I love doing, which is we basically go through all the seats that you need to pay attention to on election night with the coverage. So when you sit down on the couch and put on the ABC and Anthony Green, you already know what seats you want to pay attention to. That is the pathway for Labor to get to 47 seats, and it's 47 seats in the lower house that they need to form a majority government. So Rosie and Michael are going to go through all of the seats that they think are the critical uh, pathway for Labor to uh, form government on Saturday night. So hope you enjoy this episode. It's always a bit of a monster episode and I love doing it. And I know you guys do too because it's always one of the biggest downloaded episodes uh, of the uh, year. Okay, so don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. If you like the show, be sure to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And when you're done listening to the episode, uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And for all the updates, follow Dunstreet on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Okay, let's get to today's monster episode. We are taping this one on a 
Wednesday afternoon on the lands of the Wurundjeri people, a glorious day uh, here in Melbourne, and I hope that it's a glorious day up in Sydney because we are days away from the New South Wales state election and we've come to one of the episodes that we do in our sort of pre-election weekly recap, which is the path to analysis. So we go seat by seat looking at the seats that Labor needs to, uh, in this case, get back into government. Uh, and to help me break that down, I'm joined by our two regular guests for this uh, New South Wales Weekly Recap, Rosie Ryan from the CPSU. Welcome back to Socially Democratic. Thank you. It's great to be here. Lovely. And uh, Michael Buckland from Mackell. Welcome back to Socially Democratic as well. Thank you. So here we go. This, uh, this episode normally goes for six or seven days, so I hope you've got plenty of food and uh, supplements uh, to get you through. Uh, we've got a lot to get through um, in terms of working out a path to victory for, for Labor on Saturday night. Um, Labor needs 47 seats to win government outright, but obviously there are a lot of complexities that we're going to talk about today, and quite frankly, we'll take any kind of number of combinations that will get Labor into government so they can start to create change for the people of New South Wales. But if to win outright, they need 47 seats. Currently, as it stands, uh, Labor has uh, 40, sorry, 36 seats. There are two seats that are notional. Michael, you're going to talk about them in a moment. Uh, the Libs have 45 seats, one seat that is notional. So if you were to stack those two up, that puts the, the coalition on 40, uh, 46 seats, uh, Labor on 38. The Greens are on three. The Shooters, Fishers, Farmers, Federation, uh, whatever they're called these days, are on three. Uh, there are three independents. And um, so, you know, we could sort of, there is, broadly speaking, there's uh, 11 seats that Labor need to win to form outright. But as I said before, there are some complexities to that. Uh, before, what we're going to do today for the, for the folks at home is we're going to go in order of the most marginal seat that Labor needs to pick up all the way through to some of the taller orders. Um, and each of our two guests today are going to give you a bit of a breakdown of each of those seats, just so on election night, you've got a good sense of what to watch in terms of the coverage, seats to look out for that will present a, uh, an opportunity for Labor to, to pick up and hopefully form government. Uh, but before we begin the sort of the, the climbing this mountain to 47 seats, uh, Let's talk about two seats that are the notional ones and just give us some context about what's happening in the background since we are last spoke. Michael Buckland, to you first. So the, the seat of um, Labor has 48, uh, 38 seats uh, when you include the two notionals. Um, the first is the seat of, uh, of Heathcote, uh, which was a, a coalition seat, has an existing sitting member, um, but is has, because of the redistribution, changed to be a notional Labor seat, uh, I think 1.7% or something like that. Um, it's a bit of a rerun of 2019 with both candidates remaining the same, um, but, uh, but I think it's sort of with a little bit of a swing that's generally being felt, it's likely that that will... Um, Sort of, I think stay in that in that uh, box. The second one is Leppington, um, which is a new seat in Western Sydney. Um, this is a notional Labor seat based on previous results, but it's also a very fast-growing area, very aspirational, very much affected by some of the big policy changes out near Western Sydney around the Western Sydney Airport, and. Uh, 
I have heard talk from people with with uh, the, the the Liberal camp is confident that they're at least in the hunt for this one. So um, you know, it should still be. Uh, I guess you can't take anything for granted if if you're in the Labor camp, um, but uh, certainly you'd hope you would think that given the overall uh, trend, uh, it's going it's going that way. Um, one thing I think we look at is. Uh, with those changes, but also with a few other little challenges on, from independence to the coalition seats, it becomes very, very hard for the coalition to win majority um, government. In fact, they're in a minority now. Um, and the, the, if I can jump in, Stephen, with the four other seats that I just say that I think a good background for people to know before we start going into the margin, the, the seats by margin. But there's... Um, Strong independents running in in Wakehurst and Willoughby. Uh, interestingly, these are independents, not necessarily teal independents, so uh, they sort of haven't accepted that label. Um, but in the in Wakehurst, you have Michael Regan, who's been a popularly elected mayor for twelve years, uh, and uh, in Willoughby, uh, you have uh, Larissa Penn. Um, both of those seats would never be Labor seats, but they uh, have had histories with independence. Um, Willoughby, interestingly, is the seat Gladys vacated just last year, uh, and so uh, you have um, a- another election. Both uh, We've got a little bit of third-party polling um, that does show that those two seats are really almost toss-ups. Um, so there's a, there's a good possibility there. Then you have two... Uh, independent teal independents more traditional teal independents and they uh, that are strong they're in this in lane cove and north shore um here you have um particularly lane cove is looking very strong for the teals north shore is sort of maybe maybe it's in the hunt but it'll be interesting there was a lot of talk about pit water but you don't need to look at pit water. It's not going to be turning. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of talk of a lot of different teal seats, much like there was in the Victorian election, but really the only two to look at are those. So I kind of put it as um, before you look at what trades hands between the la- uh, Labor and the Coalition, you look at the two notional Labor seats, the two independent challenges to the Libs and the two teal challenges to the Libs. And certainly those two notional Labor seats of Heathcote and Leppington when those early booth results come in from those two particular seats, uh, you know, uh, decent swings too or or, or uh, booth results that indicate Labor holding that seat is kind of one of those first indicators you're looking for to go, okay, we're feeling good about our defence. Uh, now we need to start to turn our attention to the seats we need to pick up. So that's very inter- interesting intel. Um, in terms of the betting uh, – actually, no, before we do that, uh, Rosie, any, do you have any thoughts on just some of the stuff that uh, – Michael outlined there. Yeah, look, I think that's absolutely right. Like there's a lot of hype, a lot of talk around various seats, um, but there's not that many that are actually looking to trade hands when it comes to the independents. And I think um, Wakehurst and Willoughby are ones to watch. And those four seats that Michael just mentioned as well, the, the, we're seeing an you know, independent versus coalition contest. That would just be a pain in the ass from a campaign perspective. It's Liberal CHQs thinking that they've, you know, not only going to deal with this potential um, um, 
assault from labor on their heart on on the in these marginals traditional battleground seats but also in their um in their own sort of turf i guess that would be frustrating for them to have to allocate resources and it'll be interesting to see what happens there on the night um the betting for heathcote at the moment is um dollar 15 for labor and five dollars for the libs and in leppington it's a dollar 20 and four dollars 50 so you would suggest that the money there is conf- confident labor would hold those seats although you know dollar 20 for labor i'd Interesting. I don't know, Michael. Any thoughts on that? You're a gambling person. Uh, I, I, I think it would be interesting if, if you were confident in, in if you if the coalition are as confident as they say they are, they might be putting money on the seat of Leppington um, for their guy. So I, I just think it's it's interesting to see that one. But to be honest, I don't know that there's much much um, much there. I think that that's probably about right in both of those instances. Okay, very good. Good scene setting. Thank you, Michael. Let's uh, now begin this uh, journey of working out how the hell can we get Labor to uh, at least a minority to start up with. And if we get cocky by the end of the show, we might be looking at a majority. Starting with you, uh, Rosie, and the seat of East Hills. What can you tell us about East Hills? Yeah, so East Hills is an interesting one. And um, it is quite fascinating looking through the margins because the seats that are really on these tiny, tiny fractions of a margin that you would assume looking as an outsider would be easily picked up um, are actually the ones that when you talk to people on the ground, people are a bit uncertain of and not quite sure where they'll go. So East Hills is in southwest Sydney. Um, the incumbent Liberal is Wendy Lindsay. And then Labor's candidate is Carly Wilkinson, who has um, been very involved locally. She's a public servant, um, active um, unionist in my union for many years, um, and also involved in the local women's shelter. She's a great candidate. Um, but it's a hard seat to move, and it has been um, really marginal in the past and not really shifted much. Uh, it really felt, as as did the southwest Sydney seats more broadly, felt the impact of COVID lockdowns in a way that the rest of Sydney did not. Uh, but I don't get the sense that there's a there's a great deal of hangover from that in terms of how people are voting. Uh, but the redistribution has meant that it's shifted from a tiny 0.5% to an even tinier 0.1%. Uh, so I would be quite hopeful for that. But again, tricky seat. The uh, anything else to contribute there in terms of East Hills from uh, you, Michael? Only it seems to be the perennial, most marginal seat in the state. It's been that way for for three elections now, but it's never shifted. So, um, I think people are ho- from the Labor side are hoping that it just gets caught up in the move. Uh, uh, but um, you know, you can't take that one for granted. People have been burnt on that before. Yeah, it really does feel like a foundation seat for Liberal government over the over the last decade um, and one that they've obviously managed to continue to hold on to. Uh, the sporting bet has Labor at $1.25 as favourite to pick up the seat and the Libs at $3.50. Um, so money seems to be being put on Labor to win that. And obviously if we're going to win government, this one needs to fall on election night. Uh, Michael, let's go to the, the uh, Upper Hunter. What can you tell us about the Upper Hunter? Well, Upper Hunter's never Upper Hunter's an interesting seat because there's been a, an election just uh, just last year um, in a by-election um, which was uh, hotly contested. Um, it's a it's a it's a national seat um, and it's been the na- a national seat for its existence for a hundred years or something like that. Like, yeah, it's not um, a huge change, uh, but it's it is a. Um, a, a 
but Labor is in the running for it. But it's one of those seats where there's different dynamics going on uh, outside of Sydney. So um, you find that local conditions have a far bigger impact on on the swing. You can't really rely on general movements and um, you know general swings that may be happening across a across the Sydney region. Um, so I, I do think that this is one where it falls into the category Rosie kind of mentioned, where you've got a whole lot of these very uh, very marginal seats that are hard to win and then later on you'll find that there's sort of less marginal seats that are probably more likely to win or more confident that um, Labor will win them. So this is one where I think if Labor's winning it, it's definitely winning government and well on its way to majority, um, but uh, it doesn't need to necessarily win it. Um, and and it hasn't in the past. I don't think anyone's sort of counting their eggs on that just because it's a small margin. And also remember, oppositions always do better in by-elections or traditionally do better in by-elections. And so that margin is artificially low because there was a by-election that was well contested by Labor at the time. Um, and and so you, don't, you can't necessarily think that it's going to be... Um, be there. It's on 0.5% and it was 5% at the last election. And um, David uh, Lazel, the uh, incumbent, obviously he was elected at that last by-election, correct? So you'd assume there'd be a, some sort of sophomore, sophomore swing to him given it's his second time around, albeit from a by-election? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Uh, Rosie, any thoughts on uh, Upper Hunter? Yeah, I think Upper Hunter is one of those ones that um, most New South Wales Labor people are a bit scarred by because of the the by-election. Um, it is it is a hard seat um, despite that tiny margin. Uh, the betting odds there: the Nats are a dollar fifty-five, Labor's two dollars thirty. So um, still, I mean, not not great money for the Nats, but um, enough to suggest that people are a little bit nervous about that if people are putting money on it for Labor. But, you know, if you're a betting person, $2.30, and if there's a big sw- swing to Labor, that's a, that's good money. I'd consider doing something on that. Uh, Michael, you're ready to jump in on that one? Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's decent it's decent odds on on um, in Upper Hunter, it, it, you know, but um, and I suspect that most people who've been following it closely are just too scared to because of <laughs> what happened recently. Yeah, yeah. Um but you know that's it's be one to it'd be one to look into more. Uh, Rosie Penrith. Penrith. About Penrith. Yeah, look, another one with uh, a very small margin, so 0.6 percent, I believe. Um, Stuart Ayres, the incumbent, um, look, he resigned from cabinet over the um, John Barillaro trade job saga, um, but he was later um, cleared by an external investigation, and he's fairly popular locally. Um, however, it is, he only got in very narrowly last time. Karen McEwen, former mayor, we love a former mayor running, there's a few of those, um, has um, pretty big local recognition um, and is working hard. And, again, it's it's a tough seat. Um, it's tough to get people engaged there. Um, but it is one why that is that? there why are you, Sorry to cut you off there, Rosie. Why do you think it is tough to get folks engaged out in parents? Tell us a bit about that. I think it's another one similar to some of these seats we've been talking about where that we don't see a great deal of movement um, and I don't have a good read of, you know, what the issues are 
shifting people or that there's there's a big kind of sense of change. Michael, you might have more of a read. Well, Penrith is in the, the federal seat of Lindsay and a, a, even a decade ago you wouldn't think Labor could ever win federal government without winning the seat of Lindsay, um, but that has been the case now. Um, it, it's sort of solidified in that, uh, you know, I hate these sort of very, very cliche terms, but that kind of outer Western Sydney aspirational um, there's, uh, you know, Stuart Ayres is, is popular because he, you know, basically pork barreled them. He gave them a lot of, you know, he bought, bought a lot of uh, money for a new stadium for the NRL team out there. He, you know, he, he promoted himself a lot. He was high profile. Um, so I think, I think that that sort of is the, yeah, again, falls into that category of, of hard. I think that that's actually more of a toss up than those odds suggest, of a dollar thirty labour and three dollars twenty five lib. On election night, Rosie, how are you feeling about Penrith? Oh, look, I think that if there's a, a swing on state rides, we should get there. It just feels like uh, these are the kind of seats that we really need to be jagging. I mean, 06 percent, not a big margin. Um, if we're not picking up Penrith, then it's the night's going to be pretty short, really, right? Well, I think I think you are. Look, there is a way to still for Labor to win without some of these seats, but um, but I think that the these these four you've got uh, you're looking pretty confident for a majority, as I think you'll see later on when we go through some of the other seats that are looking stronger. Well, Michael, sticking with you, uh, the seat of Goulburn. Tell us a bit about that. Oh, look, Goulburn, I, I'm. People are going to learn very quickly. Some, I think I mentioned it the other day, but someone said to me that uh, that um, everyone who's been following New South Wales Labor politics is allergic to optimism. So um, uh, I think this is hopefully the last one on this list. You'll just get a Goulburn's a regional seat. Um, there's a fresh, you know, freshwater published polling a couple of weeks ago that found really it was it was um, you had people who were. Um, not really happy with either major party, um, which means that you can have votes kind of going anywhere with third parties and maybe not flowing through necessarily. Um, the margins at uh, at three point one percent. Wendy Tuckerman is one of the kind of only six Liberal female ministers, um, or, um, and and she's been there for a little while. Um, Labor had a good campaign last time and there was polling showing that Labor could possibly win that seat. Um, but they didn't. They didn't quite get along, get over the line at the last minute. Um, I think this is one where Labor's a possibility, but again, being outside of Sydney, so not sort of subject to the same trends, um, I'd say it's going to be harder to shift. And you do have a kind of, uh, I, I think the... Uh, I think that this is one where I wouldn't necessarily bank on Labor winning even with, you know, I'd be more confident in the previous three we've discussed, um, East Hills, uh, Penrith and Upper Hunter, just because of the sheer sliver of a margin they're on, than I would with this one. Uh, I think you'll get a little bit of a swing to Labor, but probably not enough to sway 3.5% or 3.6, 3.1, sorry. Sticking with you, Michael, um, and sticking with the regions, the seat of Tweed, um, so Tweed, you've got uh, you have Jeff Provis there. He's been a long-serving 
Nationals member since 2007. Uh, the Labor candidate um, ran last time as well, uh, Craig Elliott. It, wife, his wife, Justine, is the federal member. Um, that's one where um, actually Labor got a swing against it at the last election. Um, there are some changing uh, demographics in the area. Interestingly, um, so while this one is uh, seen as sort of reasonably safe nationals, um, as a safe set of hands, it's got a quite a different... Um, there are some local issues at play. Um, the government's ban on poker machines has become quite controversial up there because the local clubs are... Which, which are very prominent in some of these regional communities. And because this seat is along the border with Queensland, the worry is they'll just lose all their business as people go to Queensland. Um, uh, so it, it's going to be an interesting one. I think Labor's going to get a swing back towards it, but uh, to kind of offset some of the swing it lost um, at the last election. Uh, but this one is 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 that that's a decent swing it's going to need um, to get back to Labor of about 5%, that seat. Uh, I, I'm not sure Labor's, Labor's up to it in Tweed, but certainly you would have it as um, on your watch list. $2.50 for Labor uh, and $1.60 for the Nats. I wonder if the uh, impact of green preference or how important green preferences would be in that seat as well, given that Justin Elliott at the federal level has always been in a bit of a contest between her, the Nats and the Greens. I think I heard a report um, during the week that in some seats, and I'm not sure if it was applying to the seat of Tweed, but uh, because of optional preferential voting, there are some seats where the green preferences, there are only 50% of them are flowing to Labor and they're not completing their ballot paper, whereas historically at a federal or in other states, you're normally going to get 70 to 80% preference flow to Labor. It's worthwhile noting that when we, we've spoken about the three, or almost three marginal regional seats here being Upper Hunter, Goulburn and Tweed. And at the last election, which was 2019, there was hu there were huge issues around uh, uh, lock the gate, the coal seam gas. There were huge issues of, of um, water harvesting uh, because you had uh, the, the, the Murray River being, you know, going dry. You had mass fish deaths. Um, it, it had become a big issue. There were a lot of issues out in regional New South Wales at the time. And um, those same issues probably aren't quite as prominent this time, although I do note that just in the last couple of days there's been another mass fish death for the first time since the last election. Um, so, may, you know, uh, that might um, start getting people uh, to think about it a little bit more. But, um, you know, I think uh, that's, that it was working in favour of Labor in 2019 and isn't necessarily working in favour of Labor this time which kind of accounts for some of the pessimism you're hearing, I think. I've never heard the words fish death on a podcast before, let alone twice. So uh, I feel like I need to have another podcast after this to examine exactly what, <laughs> what fish death is. I'd be worried about that. Um, let's, uh, let's um, where are we going to next? We're going to Holsworthy. Who's got Holsworthy? Michael, have you got Holsworthy? Well, I'll happily jump in. Holsworthy's on 6%. So we're starting to get into the seats that I think often would be defined as safe, but that these are reasonably marginal. So um, uh, Holsworthy has had a bit of internal turmoil within the, um, within the 
Coalition. Um, the uh, member for Holsworthy, uh, Melanie Gibbons, um, lost pre-selection uh, to Tina Ayad, and um, and so that was quite a controversial move locally, um, and and did get a lot of people. You know, there was a lot of talk about finding a place for her elsewhere, and I think uh, Rosie was going to talk about it later. We'll that she did that. find. Mm. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, so, um, but this is one where you know the margin is reasonably lar- large at six percent, but um, but Labor would be in the hunt. Um, the if I do say um, we do have a little bit of um, some. Uh, third party just saying that it's it's in, it's certainly one to watch on election night, and I think you'll find um, if that part of Western Sydney starts to go Labor and it's next to or near East Hills, then um, then I think this one will start to be. If East Hills falls quickly, then we'll all eyes will be on Holsworthy. Uh, Unions New South Wales. Who are who had we had um, uh, Mark Mori on the podcast last week talking about uh, the camp, the electoral organising campaign and the broader campaign that they're running uh, with a lot of affiliates. Uh, they've allocated resources to the seat of uh, Holsworthy, uh, including actually I, I should add whilst we've since covered other seats, uh, East Hills was another and Penrith. Um, and it'd be interesting just to see, given the fact that there are. Um, outside of the, the major political parties, there are, there are resources being allocated into these types of seats. What impact that is going to have on, uh, you know, deterring folks from voting for the Conservatives and hopefully helping uh, the Labor Party. Um, there's, uh, uh, before I go to the odds, uh, Rosie, is any other thoughts you wanted just to jump in on, on the seat of Holdsworthy out in the uh, Western suburbs? No, I just, like, I think we're in with a good shot there. Fantastic. Two dollars thirty for Labor, dollar sixty for the Libs. Not great money for Libs. So you know, if you are in the hunt for looking for some, uh, you know, two thirty, I'd take that for Labor, given some of the information we've been getting in the lead up to this uh, episode. Okay, Michael, sticking with you. Let's go to Parramatta. Parramatta is interesting. You have a very popular local Liberal, uh, Jeff Lee. Um, he is retiring, um, so it, it's opened the door in this seat. Um, for another very popular local being Lord Mayor Donna Davis. Um, Donna's actually had one of the most high-profile, um, become one of the most high-profile local government um, uh, representatives in Western Sydney, being that um, she's fought a lot for preservation of, I guess, open space, heritage and other issues around Parramatta, which have become... Which, which is a very changing electorate. Um, it, was, it was reported in the paper the other day that just uh, I think um, it's got the second highest number of renters in, of any electorate behind the S- Sydney, um, and that's at 57% or something like that, um, whereas back in um, 2011 when Jeff Lee, the Liberal, first took it from Labor um, when they sort of steamrolled into government in 2011, uh, that, was, that number was at 20%. So you have a really changing seat, a lot of new people, a lot of young people, housing affordability, big issues, um, and and you have a changing demographic. This one is uh, the sort of the, the polling we've seen showing it 50-50 or even marginally in favour of Labor. Um, so this, one's, uh, this one would be sort of one of the first ones where I'd have a fair degree of confidence 
um, to be honest. It's really interesting to see the both of you, uh, as I know we're sort of halfway through, but you're feeling more confident about seats that have got reasonably fat margins as opposed to the ones that you think would just topple over. I mean, what is going Yeah, this is six and a half percent. Do we <laughs> totally mad to you? Because <laughs> I, I imagine as a Victorian looking in, you're like, they've got it all back to front. But I, I agree. I think things are looking good in Parramatta. Exactly. I mean, like it, just at the start there where we began in seats like East Hills and Penrith and that, you're like, oh, you're both very sort of, mm, okay. And I'm like, going, dude, these ones should flip straight away, right? And now we're moving to sort of Paramount and going, I'm feeling good about this. I like this a lot. Okay. Um, well, that's reflected in the odds too. I mean, that's yeah. $1.25 for Labor and $4 for the Libs. I mean, it, it's whereas some of those seats we discussed earlier are the opposite almost. In fact, that's the most stark difference of any seat so far. Yeah, absolutely. And also the fact that, you know, some of the uh, private and published polling that's come out that is saying that it is 50-50 or maybe slightly in favour of Labor on a 6.5% margin to gain, right, in 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 an election tells me that, well, I mean, not that we've seen, I haven't seen any published polling for the seats like East Hills or Penrith. I don't know if you guys have. But I mean, maybe are we going to? Maybe there's got, it's, the 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 swings that we're going to see on election night. They may be patchy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like when we saw that the federal election across the country, that was, it was patchy, um, and I wonder if that's going to be something that we're going to pick up in the uh, in the early stages of the count. Well, one thing just for for pe- people from Victoria who might be um, Western Sydney is often lumped politically as one single place, but. I mean, Parramatta is is now far more metropolitan and then you have seats like Penrith, which are far further west, um, almost the distance from the CBD to Parramatta, I think, is closer than Parramatta to Penrith. It's it's a different... It, it's, And then you also have East Hills and Holsworthy being closer to Liverpool and that southern, southwest part of Sydney. And so really I think we are talking about uneven, um, patchy swings um not for western sydney but even within western sydney that's interesting actually uh riverston michael sticking with you riverston is is well closer to Parramatta than the other two but it's it's a little bit north um uh riverston has um a retiring in uh mp in kevin connolly um, mohit kumar is the liberal candidate instead this is a 6.2 percent margin seat um, so again, similar to the uh, to Parramatta, um, Labor's Warren Kirby is is running. Uh, this has a been an area of huge population change. So it's part of the what's not known as the Northwest Growth Corridor, um, or part of it is. Um, it's had a big changes. Uh, one of the thing, an issue that has really been. Um, ongoing in the seat has been the Rouse Hill Hospital. Uh, the Liberals have promised that for sort of every election now for the last couple, at least since 2011. Um, they are building a sort of $300 million hospital. Labor's come and said they are going to put $700 million into it and make it a, a major um, hospital. But the delays have also meant that there's a lot of sort of scepticism about um, uh, about from from uh, about the coalition promises, um, and so I think you're going to find that um, there are a couple of things that are going to play there, and then you, you throw in a retiring member, and you get to um, this being one where 
I think people are saying Riverston's looking good. The third-party polling um, shows that Labor's ahead in this one, I think, uh, not huge enough to be conf- to, to think it's absolutely confident, but enough to think that Labor would be, um, you'd rather be in Labor's shoes than the Liberals in that seat. Let's take a quick break to talk about SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust. Lists that are up to date, absolutely. Phone banks uh, that can change minds. Emails that drive donations and events that will energize the community online and offline. And text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. And to find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign. Okay, let's get back to the show. Nice to be competitive. Uh, Labor's paying a dollar forty. Uh, the Libs are two dollars seventy-five. It's very similar to Parramatta. Good money um, and quite stark. Not as stark as Parramatta, but certainly good money being put on the Labor candidate Warren Kirby. Rosie Oatley, talk to me. Oatley, so another Southwest Sydney seat. Um, it is, you know, the incumbent member um, Mark Corey. I think has been there about twelve years, over a decade. Um, and I think he has been a popular local member with a hardworking rep, but that's waned over time um, and wouldn't necessarily be enough to carry him over the line. It's a 6.8% margin. Labor's candidate, um, Ash Ambi um, is a gun. Like, she's a real firecracker. She's been, you know, smashing those doors incessantly, calling on those phones, and, like, I've been out door knocking for her and found quite a high name recognition for a first-time candidate, she's a local councillor at the moment um, and an employment lawyer and, and unionist. So I think it's, again, one of those areas that was hit really hard in COVID um, by lockdowns that the rest of Sydney didn't experience. Um, healthcare upgrades to the local hospital, um, things like uh, they've cancelled a bunch of express train services to the city and they want them brought back. It's, you know, people that are commuting into the city for work. The toll road stuff would probably resonate um, and privatisation and linking the privatisation to cost of living, like those things are getting through. Um, and it's interesting, I've seen Ash has gotten some really good coverage in Sky News and the Daily Telegraph, unusually, um, about her campaign and her chances. And we've seen um, uh, Chris Minns and Albo's partners have both been out um helping hand out with Ash, um, and um, uh, it was also the first stop on the Chris Minzer's campaign bus tour this week. So I think uh, Oatley is, you know, a hard one to win but one to watch. And sticking with you, uh, Rosie, let's go to the seat of Ride. Yeah, so Ride is, um, you know, incumbent, um, it's liberal, but Victor Dominello, very popular, is retiring. Um, it was a historically safe Labor um, place, but then had huge swings against um, Labor um, and Victor Dominello has been in since 2008. So it's um, it's gone backwards and forwards a bit over time. Um, the Liberal candidate, Jordan Lane, is like your classic young liberal white man running, uh, the youngest ever mayor, um, but not a great deal of experience. Um, and it's an edu- it's an electorate with really high levels of education, a lot of concern about climate change. We saw big swings to Labor um, with Jerome Laxal winning in Benelong at the federal election. So there's a lot of change afoot, changing demographics, 
higher rates of renters moving in uh, that I think will shift things as well. And Labor's Lyndall Howison, um, primary school teacher, um, has been a candidate before, has pretty good name recognition and is um, in it to win it, I reckon. So Ride's a really interesting one to watch that I think um, people are pouring everything they've got into winning. Um, you uh, talked about sort of uh, the demographics of the electorate um, percentage of the voting population there of Chinese-Australian Chinese background. Um, want to, just the experience here in, here in Victoria in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne that historically had voted for the Conservatives prior to um, 2018 and the sort of the very first Dan slide um, had had a Chinese population but had, you know, normally turned out for, for, uh, for the Libs. Um, since then, well, over the sort of, I guess, you know, I've got family live out in that part of the, the, the city, the Chinese population has grown dramatically uh, and sprawled across a number of seats. Uh, a lot of those seats now are Labor seats and have been retained in the most recent election and also voted for Labor candidates at the federal election. I'm really interested to get a sense of, um, and obviously, you know, the Chinese Australian community are not a homogenous community. They don't just all of a sudden vote Liberal overnight or just vote Labor overnight. But um, how are we feeling about Labor's engagement with that particular demographic? Because it is, a, you know, certainly when you do go to travel to Sydney, it, they feel like a very strong, proud community. And I'm just wanting to get, get a sense of how they're connecting with Labor in this, in, leading to this election campaign. I mean, my sense would be in Ride particularly, and again, not homogenous, but, um, you know, a, a lot of people in the Chinese community who were supporting Liberal um, shifted to Labor with the federal election and particularly the federal uh, former coalition government's um, behaviour and um, language around China, um, I, I think, has a lasting impact uh, and Labor's approach federally um, to those relations uh, has had a real impression as well. So I, I think Labor will can continue to benefit from that shift in right. If the Sydney Morning Herald was a candidate, they definitely wouldn't get elected in a right. I think that's my gut feeling. Um, let's go to South Coast and stick it with you, Rosie. What actually? No, sorry, I haven't done the odds for those two other seats. Ride uh, the Libs are a dollar forty, uh, and Labor's two dollars seventy five. So the money's on the Tories at the moment, and only the seat we covered before uh, the Libs are dollar twenty five. Labor's four bucks. So those two seats there, money doesn't look great uh, for Labor, but. If you are, if we are feeling good about these two seats, that's great money for Labor to take, and that's probably where I'd start putting my money. I don't know what you think about that, there, Rosie. I would say out of the two of them, um, Ride has the better shot, but Oatley's in with a chance. Love it, uh, South Coast, Rosie. Talk to us about South Coast. So South Coast, um, look, we've seen, and maybe this is just being overly optimistic because there's been kind of a, a good run on the South Coast for Labor between Eda Monero, Gilmore federally, the bigger by-election. Um, but there's a, there's a lot of tree changes down the South Coast. Um, and, you know, that this, this particular seat on the South Coast sits between Ulladulla and Nowra. Um, there's a mix of all these, like, little seaside communities and then Nowra, which is quite a big working-class centre, um, but there's been a lot of Canberrans move across who are traditionally Labor voters. There's been shifting demographics and we saw some really good results um, with the federal election. Um, it, it will be a hard one to pick up 
it's a big, um, it is a, a big margin, 10.6%, but Liza Butler, um, Labor's candidate, has um, been out there campaigning hard. And Shelley Hancock, who is the sort of long-serving sitting Liberal, is retiring. Uh, I think the South Coast is one of those classic examples of where um, the Liberals could have put in a woman but a really bloody local pre-selection battle where uh, some young Liberal uh, male staffer, or not not young Liberal anymore, but young male staffer um, kind of took took the seat and, um, and left people locally pretty pissed off. So I think we've seen um, some... Uh, internal Liberal Party division that maybe will carry over an impact on their volunteering capacity. Uh, And um, we also see those kind of shifts um, federally as well that gives us some hope. But it's an outside chance. Like, it is a hard place to pick up. So I I don't know if it will get all the way there, but it's definitely going to be interesting to watch what the results look like. Uh, loving the internal shit fight going on the Liberal Party. Not great for democracy, but great for us. Uh, the Libs are $1.15. I think actually that's their best money out of all the six we've covered so far, five bucks for Labor. So um, a bit of a stretch. And as you said, 10.6%. That's a pretty hefty margin. If we were to pick up that seat, then uh, lovely. Um, okay, uh, almost there. Uh, Monaro, Michael, thoughts on Monaro? Not the car, the seat. This has a huge margin, um, as in 11.6, so a large margin. Um, But to be honest, it's looking pretty good. Um, It's certainly in contest. It's certainly in the kind of 50-50 range. Um, So this would be a seat that, um, you know, I'm actually, I'd tip for Labor um, despite everything. So there's a little bit of background here for the candidates it being a, it's sort of a, a seat that's a regional seat. It's away from the Sydney centre, but it's also very, it, it incorporates Queanbeyan being part of uh, sort of very close to the Canberra uh, metropolis. And so often their politics is influenced by by that. Um, the uh, Nicole overall um, has taken over. It was John Barilaro's old seat. John Barilaro was very, very popular in twenty uh, in twenty nineteen, and and had a swing towards him. But really, I, I think became a little bit of a almost a Barnaby Joyce type figure over time, um, like a bit of a kind of embarrassment to lots of people. Um, he'd made some really big promises and just kind of hadn't necessarily delivered. Um, Interestingly, um, overall is a well-known name in the area with um, Nicole's husband um, being a, being on council for a long time. Um, but that's actually, uh, according to local sources, um, it, it actually a bit of a negative um, because there's some, some, uh, some sort of disagreement with uh, some of the things he did, some of the more controversial things. And so it's not necessarily working. Uh, Labor hasn't been without its own difficulty in this seat because they've had Terry Campisi was the candidate, star sort of former NRL player, um, had, you know, actually quite a sort of knockabout bloke. Um, but unfortunately uh, that turned into uh, actually a little bit of a a little bit of a scandal. Things kept getting leaked about um, whether it was, I think he went to a party and they all kind of, it was described as sex themed or something, but it was, you know, it was, um, everyone wearing kind of it, it wasn't um, but it was it was maybe risque 
uh, certainly by politician standards. And uh, and then sort of things kept coming and eventually Terry just said, you know what, no, nah, this isn't, isn't for me. And so he's left. Um, and Steve Wan has jump, jumped in. And Steve was the Labor member for many, many years up until 2015. So he is really well known. He almost brings the kind of incumbent name to it. So, go, uh, you know, lo- losing Terry... Certainly. Anyway, I, I don't think it's been a loss for Labor. Um, so I think that that's one where, uh, you know, everyone's watching, looking at that margin saying no way. But, um, you know, it's it's closer than you think. It's uh, it's a it's toss up. A huge margin, but by the sense of two uh, reasonably high profile candidates going into this contest, um, the uh, the Nats are paying $1.30, Labor is $3.50. Um, would you put money on Labor? That's on that not point? right. Like it shouldn't be that. It should be a lot closer than that. That's interesting. Uh, the last seat that is on our list uh, before we then start to do a bit of a sort of a, a breakdown of our thoughts about which seats we want to pick up or which ones we feel confident about picking up. So I'm giving you time to think about that, you two. Uh, Kayama, which Mark Morey, when he was on the podcast the other week, said that this was Union's New South Wales smoky. So I'm interested, Rosie, to hear from you about the uh, our chances in Kayama. Oh, I think Kayama's a really fascinating one. Um, I think a lot of people have a lot of hope for Kayama and it is a 12% margin, so it's obviously hard, but there's this kind of uh, intersection of factors that make it quite difficult to predict. So, look, Gareth Ward um, won this with uh, off Labor with a 19 uh, point something percent swing towards him in 2011 and has held it ever since. Hugely popular local Liberal member. Um, but, um, you know, a couple of years ago there were um, allegations that came out against him um, and there are some really serious charges which he denies and is fighting in court um, that are hanging over him and have led to both him being kicked out of the Liberal Party and um, suspended from Parliament. So he's still he's still the sitting member. He's running as an independent and sitting on the crossbench. Uh, he still talks like he's part of the Liberal Party in many senses in, in the way that he is um, talking about the government. You would think that he was a Liberal candidate. However, the government have distanced themselves from him. And coming back to um, a character mentioned earlier, Melanie Gibbons, um, who was unsuccessful in um, pre-selection in holding on to her seat in southwest Sydney, is uh, now running as a Liberal candidate for Kayama despite living uh, many hours away. Uh, she was also unsuccessful in trying to get up, on, up in the upper house. So interesting candidate selection from the Liberals, but it will be interesting to see how many of the people who've traditionally voted Liberal will vote Liberal and vote for Melanie, how many will stick with Gareth, who, despite having very concerning charges against him, maintains large local popularity and I've heard is still greeted like a rock star at pre-poll and there's still very strong support for him. Um, And how many will go to um, places like Labor? We've got um, Labor's Caitlin McInerney, uh, who is like a real... Gun campaigner has been working her guts out and campaigning from very early in the piece last year. Um, local um, former journo, unionist, um, and issues like health, 
like education, like climate change are really big here. Again, tree changes um, uh, and uh, a lot of concern about kind of the local environment, the kind of community they want that does show up in some more progressive votes as well. This is a, a seat that sort of takes, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is sort of the Wollongong part of? It's just south, yeah. South of Wollongong. Just south, south of Wollongong. Yeah, okay, right. That's and just, just north of the south coast. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, okay. part of Gilmore. So we saw, you know, some pretty tight results, but um, some okay results for Labor around there as well in the federal election. So the, the hope we point to, I guess, is that, I mean, as you said, Rosie, it's a 12% margin to pick up, but there are trends, there are demographic trends that suggest that it is a competitive seat, plus the complexities that we have surrounding the incumbent candidate, incumbent MP being punted out of the parliament and uh, and the Liberal Party. As, as, yeah. Uh, and as to well. go back to our conversation last week about optional preferential voting, when we're looking at there's a Liberal candidate, there's an independent um, sitting member who has been the Liberal member, uh, are people preferencing or are those votes exhausting? How is this mm. going to be split? And I do think, I think a lot of people have a lot of hopes on there, but I've spent a fair bit of time locally and I think it is easy to underestimate just how popular the incumbent member is in spite of those charges. The odds as well are funny too. Well, not funny, but they're interesting. Uh, $1.60 for the the incumbent, but now running as an independent, three dollars twenty-five for the the liberal running, who's uh, moved from um, other parts of Sydney to stand in this race, and then Labor's candidate uh, Caitlin McInerney is on four dollars fifty. Um, if it is as competitive as we think it, it we it, if it is as competitive as we think it is, uh, four dollars fifty for Labor is uh, actually good money, I think. And if uh, Mark Morey thinks is he smoky, then you know he'd maybe chuck fifty bucks. <laughs> well, I mean it. it there's actually an interesting battle going on in the media of whether the Liberals would accept preferences from Gareth Ward and whether Gareth um, whether the Liberals would preference Gareth Ward ahead of Labor. Um, how much of those flow through? A lot of the local Liberals are backing Gareth, so he does have an on-the-ground machine that he maintains. Um, but but uh, but I mean, there's a chance here Labor comes through the middle independence lose enough uh gareth loses enough to liberal votes and the liberal voters don't quite jump across and then labor ends up with the majority and hope it uh, with with uh with the the highest on um first preferences and then hopes that the preference flows between the independent and liberal candidates don't catch up to him and they just, just yeah exactly and they just sit on the table and get exhausted that would be a dream scenario for us in uh, in Kayama. shout out to uh, the uh, New Zealand Wales organizer down there Chrissy, who's done a great job uh, local teacher and just uh, checked out for uh, for the campaign to get involved in this which has been fantastic really proud of what she's achieved over the last uh, six months okay so we've done a bit of an analysis of all of these seats now what I want you to think about is what are the ones that you would actually allocate to labor if you know sort of that gun to your head scenario just to see how um how close we can get to this this magical number of um uh of uh what do we want we want 47 
um, to, to form government, but, but at least I think maybe, Michael, you said in our very first episode you're think, thinking 42, 43 for minority government for Labor would be a number we'd work towards. So I'm interested to get a sense from both of you whether we can get – can we get ourselves to 42 and if so, can we, how close can we get ourselves to 47 based on the seats that we've looked at. Um, who wants to, who wants to yeah, be I, first? Who wants to be a brave soul to start to consider this? I'd like just mention that the reason why I said that 42 is just if you if looking at even we mentioned at the beginning that you have four sort of teals, two teals, two independents, possibly, you know, possibly taking a couple seats off the coalition. Um, they're already in minority. Uh, if they lose some seats from their sort of base um, and Labor picks up another, gets to 42 from them, then I think it becomes very hard. You know, Labor's going to be well ahead of the Liberals on seats uh, and it'll be very hard, I think. So uh, that's the first test is, I guess, what I what I say rather than it say, being the, a prediction or anything. But I, I'd say, can I throw out the first four to get us to 42? Please do. I'm running these. I'm, I'm okay to go for it. <laughs> go for it. Look, I think you get East Hills just because of the margin being so low. I know no one wants to say it because they've been stung for every election the last couple, but I think East Hills just falls. I think it goes. Um, and there's enough pressures in Western Sydney. The Libs also, we, we didn't mention it earlier, but the Libs uh, put through a, put a toll on a road that runs into the area that was previously free. That does, and that has become an issue at this election. Um, so I think you get East Hills and then I think you have Parramatta, Riverston and Ryde. So Parramatta being that one with uh, with Lord Mayor Donna Davis, um, uh, I think Labor will win that. And then I think you've got Riverston with the retiring member. Um, so does Parramatta have a retiring member and, and so does Ryde have a retiring member. Um, I think Ryde's the hardest one out of those four to get. But I actually think... I'm pretty confident, and I also think in Ride, Labor's vote might have been hit. The, the margin from the last election might be artificially high, partly because there was a little scandal around uh, comments about um, about Asians that had come out, may have been from a, from the Labor leader at the time, um, uh, and it became a bit of a scandal. and And uh, I think so that whereas I think a lot of work's been done to sort of repair that relationship and certainly not um, make it clear that that's sort of not what the party thinks. So I think though they're my first four, I say. Now you're saying, I don't know. What, are you saying first four? Are there others that you'd want to call today or are you going to cap it at, at, at those four? Because that gets you at 42 seats for Labor. I think Labor will pick up another two or three because I have another like, so, so the next ones I, I put as 50-50s. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be confident in any of them individually, but throw in five of them and I think Labor will pick up two or three. Do you want to call out some of those seats that you think out of those that you think we'll grab? Jeez, I'm really putting you on the spot here, not Michael. But <laughs> uh, okay, uh, where would I go? Um, Goulburn, you just don't know. It's sort of... Yeah, I can see see Rosie gritting her teeth. Um, but Goulburn, like, you know, you just don't know. Um, South Coast, Tweed, 
Tweed, another thing I, I, we, we sort of didn't mention when we went through, but um, as I think through it, Tweed right near Lismore, heavily affected by floods, unhappy with the progress since then. Mm. Um, there's a lot sort of going on. Um, Kayama, I do think, you know, there's a path for Labor victory. I don't think it's a likely path, but I think it's possible there. Um, Penrith, again, purely based on the margin. Uh, like not not anything else, just it's such a low margin. Does it kind of flop over with the with the mood mm-hmm. and, and Labor doing a bit better than it was in 2019 when that margin was established? Um, Oatley, I think Labor's actually been done really surprisingly well. Oatley also quite close to where Chris Minns, Minns's seat. Um, so there's a bit of kind of South Sydney uh, there. Um, and so, you know, that, that's probably who I who I write down. If I look through my list, that's six or so. Mm. Um, I also think Labor might even be oddly in a chance with in the seat of Balmain, which we didn't talk about because that's a Labor Greens contest. So in a minority wouldn't affect. But if I stick with the Labor Liberal contest, that, that that's six seats where... Like I can see, I could see Labor winning any of them, but I could also, I wouldn't be surprised if they lost one of them. So I wouldn't put them in the Labor camp, but I think that that's six that might get you, you know, so you're already at 42, you've got to get to 47. So that's another, uh, another five. And I've got six there with Labor being really kind of 50, 50. In that order, that you call them, in that order, you call them out there, Michael, Penrith is your 47th seat. Penrith is a seat that wins government based on on your numbers. We're going to I'm going to let you reflect on that and we're going to come back to it in a minute. But, Rosie, your turn. Tell me the seats that you are feeling confident about to begin with. Yeah, look, I think um, I think you picked pretty well those those first four, Michael. Um, like, and I, I do as much as there's a big margin there, I do feel really good about rides. But, look, definitely Parramatta, East Hills based on the margin. I do think... Penrith, based on the margin, has pretty good odds. But again, as we started off with, um, margins aren't telling us everything here. Um, and I, I would look to um, sort of Oatley, once you sort of go past those first four, I, I do think we're in with a shot in Oatley um, as well. But there's just such a such a long list of possibles and so many variables and so many uh, votes exhausting after number one uh, that it is it is really hard to to pick this um, and as Michael identified earlier like we're you know we're seeing um, uh, a lot of hopes pinned in Western Sydney but what Western Sydney looks like is very varied. So based on the numbers that you've just called there, Rose, you've got East Hills, Parramatta, Riverston, Ride, Penrith, Oakley. That puts uh, Labor on 44. Is that right? My math's right there. What have you got, Michael? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, 44. You said Penrith and Oakley, Rosie? That's six seats pick up? Yeah, yeah. 44. 44. Okay. Only need three, you know, and then to be honest, actually the three is also a magic number because there are three Greens lower house members. Correct. I've probably so, minority government, surely. I mean, I can't see the Greens going with the Conservatives, right? I mean, that must be rosy. That's what we're looking at there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I am a I am a self-protectively um, 
convince myself that we will lose, uh, so emotionally protect myself. But I think a, a kind of minority government scenario is the most likely scenario. Okay, final reflections. This has been a great, uh, a great uh, episode. As I said, I always love doing this. And I, can I say actually to both of you, uh, I really do uh, appreciate you putting your thoughts on the record. There are plenty of people out there that after 9.30, 10 o'clock on election night say, I told you so. But the fact <laughs> that you guys are prepared to step up and actually have a conversation about it and actually step through it, you know, it, it, rationalise it based on uh, all the evidence that we have before us, but not actually knowing how many uh, ballots uh, in that box. Uh, I thank you very much for doing that today. Um, we're not going to hold you to it, obviously, uh, but it's more of an insight for our listeners right across the country for when they sit down uh, on election night and crack a beer or whatever they may do, a glass of wine, to uh, just get a good sense of um, of where, where to focus your attention uh, in in um, in your form guide to work out how Labor can possibly uh, first of all get into a minority situation, but um, then into a majority situation. Just one more thing, actually, before I do throw to you for your final thoughts, um, Michael and Rosie. The we've gone through the odds, and I can't remember actually, Michael. We said this before we recorded or during we recorded, but if you go through, we've been through all the the the, the seat odds based on sports bet. Uh, a coalition majority is paying twenty dollars. A coalition minority is paying six dollars twenty-five. A Labor majority is paying three dollars twenty-five, and a Labor minority is paying a dollar seventy-five. And if you do the math on that by the actual individual seats, it doesn't reflect on what the money line is for the, you know, the broader ticket. So I don't, what do we draw from that? I don't know. But people are betting on the big stuff, but they're not going seat by seat. I don't know. Like, a, you know, it's weird, right? Yeah. I think that, I think that's what they're doing. They're, they're saying labor, labor is, is likely to win government minority or majority. Uh, but um but if you actually go through the seats, no one's very confident in any of them individually. So uh, I think that's what it kind of shows. OPV as well, bizarre. Rosie, let's go to you for final thoughts uh, before we go to the election uh, yeah. count on Saturday night. I hope that, um, yeah, I hope that those um, betting odds are reflective of just where people are placing their bets and it's not like a 2019 federal election scenario where everyone's thinking we're going to win but then when you look at the individual campaigns on the ground no one's overly confident of the conversations they're having or the sense they're feeling I think um I think it is different to that but I think it is very difficult to predict in that kind of long list marathon list of seats we've just gone through exactly where each of them will land and and what the path looks like that's a fantastic insight and something we should be super mindful of during the count on Saturday night Michael your final thoughts um, uh, looking at it slightly more from a coalition perspective, they have 45 seats. If they lose, let's say, four or five, depending on sort of Rosie and my predictions, to Labor and they lose two, maybe three, to those independents and Teals, um, which is likely, um, then then you're talking about getting their, their seats are going to be down at 39 or 40 uh, which makes getting to a minor, my, uh, wor- a workable minority government for them becomes very, very difficult at that point. And so I almost feel like maybe that's where a lot of the, we talked a lot about betting, but maybe that's where it's coming from is, you know, when you look at it from the reverse, it's really, really 
hard for the coalition to form government. You wouldn't want to be in their shoes right now. No, that's. I think it's the reassuring thing, isn't it, to reflect on, even though that to the points that you've both said um, today, you'd much rather be asked, I think, than them. I mean, they're, they're, they've got a there's complexities to what they're trying to do to hold on to government um, and it makes it quite difficult. So what it, what it will do is be a fascinating count on Saturday night. Um, but before we wrap up, to those of you out there listening who live in New South Wales, there are still things that you can do. Let's not just sit here and talk about how who's going to win. Let's get involved and actually try and get them over the line. So um, if you want to volunteer your time, go to New South Wales Labor. Uh, .org. There's plenty of ways in which you can still sign up. I know we're recording this on a Wednesday. We're actually dropping this one earlier. We're going to drop it on Thursday morning this week as opposed to a Friday. So if you're listening to this, there's still chance, still time to go and um, make some calls, knock on some doors, and obviously on election day itself, hand out um, all of these. Uh, we need to staff all of these um, um, booths right across the state of New South Wales. Just contact New South Wales Labor and they'll allocate you somewhere to go and hand out. Uh, if you're outside of the state, um, there's still time to donate money. Once again, go to NewSouthWalesLabor.org to donate um, whatever you've got to hand over to the campaign. Can I uh, also wish um, all the folk at uh, Sussex Street uh, for New South Wales Labor uh, the best of luck on, on, on election night. It's not easy. I've been there before. It's not easy being a party official. Um, but, uh, you know, as, um, as Daniel Andrews always says, you know, if you've chased after every vote, then that's all you can do. Uh, and the rest is left up to, uh, to the good people of New South Wales and also to Chris and the team uh, in uh, Macquarie Street and to Mark Moore and the guys uh, at Unions New South Wales as well have done a bang-up job on their campaign over the course of the last six months. Uh, and to our two special guests, I know we're coming back next week to do our post-election analysis. Hopefully it'll be a good one. But to you, uh, Rosie, and to you, Michael, thank you very much for your insights uh, on today's podcast and whatever you guys are doing. What, what, actually, where are you? Rosie, where are you going to be election night? What's your plans for election night? Uh, I am going to be handing out in ride on election day and then I think a bit of their party and then a bit of the kind of Chris Min's central party is the most likely course of the evening. Fantastic. How about you, and Michael, yourself? Uh, I'll, be, I'll be splitting my time between, uh, between um Canterbury and uh, and Parramatta, uh, and uh, and then hopefully, I don't know. I'll be watching the watching the coverage at first. And to be honest, <laughs> I've, I've my nerves have been shot from the last two elections, so I'm not going to be uh, I'm I'm not going to be putting myself out anywhere until I know what's going on. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to scrutineer somewhere and then not go to any party until there's a little bit more certainty in what the results look like those those early watching of results where it's all over the shop is um so anxiety provoking i hate it it can be terrifying but it's also fun if you get the result as well um well i'll be up in sydney as well so hopefully i can run to both of you maybe at the chris means party and celebrate a labor government victory on election night but to both of you thank you very much for your time uh, in today's episode and uh go labor Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey there. Thanks for listening to Social Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And to get all the latest updates on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday. Socially Democratic was brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians. 
They've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. Their experience and skills means you'll get the best results possible. Find out more on their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on. Social Democratic was brought to you by SwiftFox. Every moment on a campaign matters. You need the tools that you can trust, lists that are up to date, phone banks that can change minds, emails that drive donations, events that will energise the community online and offline, and text blasts that distill your message perfectly. SwiftFox CRM is made for campaigners by campaigners. To find out more, go to swiftfoxcrm.com to win your next campaign.